Hey guys, just a quick content warning for this week's episode. There is mention of sexual assault, gore, and murder. So if you're not okay with that, now is your time to click off. But then that, let's start this week's episode. Hey! <laughs> hey. Um, we're back after like, what, like three weeks? Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. It's, I think it's almost been a month. Yeah. I think it's like March 4th because yeah. we had spring break and yeah. then other podcasts like what's poppin undefeated which y'all should go check out mm-hmm. um they went also, live yeah they've been doing live recordings kind of like what we're doing now um but Except, this one this one's pre-recorded yeah. but <laughs> still like on the screen yeah but yeah <laughs> do you want to start off sage yeah so i'm gonna start off today's episode i am doing um john lennon's murder case oh only because um there's been a TikTok audio, the the <laughs> the kill John Lennon TikTok audio. It's like um, for for the listeners at home that don't um, know what it is. It's uh, kill John Lennon, mm-hmm. kill John Lennon. Um, so it's just really been on my mind lately. Okay. Uh, so I'll just go ahead and get into it. I feel like um, if we were all to be the Beatles, you would be John Lennon. I don't know how to take that. You just give off John Lennon. Well, in like a I good way that, or a I bad way? Cause <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's the glasses. Maybe it's the eyes. Maybe it's the hair. Okay. Fair enough. Who I, was I, a, I was a really big John Lennon fan when I was younger until I found out that he was a woman beater. Oh. Um, which beetle would I be? I already know which beetle I am. You'd probably be George. No. Yeah. I'm Ringo. You know, you're pretty chill. Okay, I could also see Ringo. No, I definitely see Ringo. Um, fun fact for the viewers we can say viewers now because they're true viewing it. even though i um, said that without <laughs> fun fact uh my dog's name is ringo true uh after ringo star um anyways i'll just go ahead and get into this um so john lennon who was a former member of the beatles um if you don't know who the beatles are i really I, best band no i'm kidding <laughs> <laughs> best band ever they transform rock music but like I don't know if you know songs like um, "Here Comes the Sun." No, it's pretty underground. <laughs> um, what are other like popular songs? Um, I feel like yeah, I feel like all of the Beatles songs are popular, so I feel like I can't really say. But when John Lennon is on his own, "Imagine" was yeah. a really big song. And then you remember um, beginning of oh the pandemic. Beginning beginning of pandemic when Gal Gadot. Gal Gadot and like all those other celebrities made that video and it was so bad okay I'm sorry I just am off on a tangent he also um uh John Lennon also in his solo career um did the song beautiful boy right yes beautiful beautiful, I don't need to hear another time beautiful beautiful boy that's been going around TikTok too so um if you can't tell, I'm obsessed with TikTok. Anyways, anyways, um, so the 40-year-old artist, he was at the time 40 years old, um, he's not 40 anymore. Well, he's dead, so sorry. Um, the 40-year-old artist was entering his luxury Manhattan apartment building when Mark David Chapman shot him four times at close range with a 38 caliber revolver. Um, Lennon, bleeding profusely, was rushed to a hospital, and then he died en route. Um, Chapman 
had received an autograph from Lennon earlier in the day and voluntarily remained at the scene of the shooting until he was arrested by police. For a week, hundreds of bereaved fans kept a vigil outside the Dakota Lennon's apartment building and demonstrations of mourning were held around the world. So uh, at the time, uh, Mark David Chapman had no prior criminal convictions and he had just resigned from a job as a security guard in Hawaii. Um, Following the murder, Chapman's legal team intended to mount an insanity defense that would be based on the testimony of mental health experts who said that he was in a delusional psychotic state. Um, He was more cooperative with the prosecutor who argued that his symptoms fell short of a schizophrenia diagnosis. As the trial approached, he instructed his lawyers that he wanted to plead guilty based on what he had decided was the will of God. The judge granted Chapman's request and deemed him competent to stand trial. He was sentenced to a prison term of 20 years to life with a stipulation that mental health treatment would be provided. Chapman refused requests for press interviews during his first six years in prison, um, but he later said that he regretted he regretted the murder and did not want to give the impression that he killed John Lennon for fame or notoriety. Um, he ultimately supplied audio taped interviews to journalist Jack Jones, um, and he, Jack Jones then wrote an investigative book, "Let Me Take You Down." inside the mind of Mark David Chapman in 1992. And then in 2000, um, Chapman became eligible for parole, um, which has since then been denied 11 different times, <laughs> which I uh, I think is wild. Um, anyways, so onto his um, motive and like how he planned the murder. Um, so, Mark David Chapman um, allegedly started planning to kill John Lennon three months prior to the murder. So it was premeditated. um, And he was a longtime fan of the Beatles. um, But Chapman turned against Lennon due to religious conversion and Lennon's highly publicized 1966 remark about the Beatles being more popular than, than Jesus. Um, some members of Chapman's prayer group made a joke in reference to Lennon's song, Imagine. It went, imagine, imagine if John Lennon was dead. Oh. Sorry. Yeah. Um, crickets. Absolute silence. Um, Chapman's childhood friend, Miles McManush, McManush um, recalled that he said that the song was communist. That's what Chapman had said, or that's what his childhood friend said Chapman said. Um, Chapman had also been influenced by Anthony Anthony Fawcett's John Lennon, One Day at a Time, about Lennon's lifestyle in New York. According to his wife, Gloria, he was angry that Lennon would preach love and peace, but yet have millions. Chapman later said he told us to imagine no possessions and there he was with millions of dollars and yachts and farms and country estates laughing at people like me who had believed the lies and bought the records and built a big part of their lives around his music. He also recalled having listened to Lennon's solo albums in the weeks weeks before the murder. 
This is a direct quote from him. Um, I would listen to this music and I would get angry at him for saying in the song, God, that he didn't believe in God, that he just believed in him and Yoko, and that he didn't believe in the Beatles. This was another thing that angered me. Even though his, this record had been done at least 10 years previously, I just wanted to scream out loud, who does he think he is, saying all these things about God and heaven and the Beatles, saying that he doesn't believe in Jesus and things like that. At that point, my mind was going through to a total blackness of anger and rage. So I brought the linen book home into this, the catcher in the rye Milo, where my mindset um, is holding Caulfield and anti-phoniness. So basically, um, his uh, like main intentions and his like motives all came from his religious background um, and how upset, yeah, how upset he was about that, which I think is kind of ironic because like one of the isn't like one of the Ten Commandments like thou shalt not kill. I don't know. I think that's one of the Ten Commandments. Aren't they like um, written on rocks or something? Yeah, like a tablet, a stone tablet. Yeah, I wasn't there for that. I don't know. <laughs> okay. I don't know the Ten Commandments. I think Moses was involved <laughs> when he parted the Red Sea. Yeah, like my hair. Yep. My hair's the Red like Sea. Like Sage's hair. Y'all can see that now. Yeah, it's red. Um. Anyways, and now I'm going into the three months leading up to the murder. Um, Chapman went to New York in October 1980, intending to kill John Lennon, but left to obtain ammunition from his unwitting friend in Atlanta before returning again in November. Um, during his October trip to New York, Chapman was inspired by the film Ordinary People to stop his plans. Um, he returned to Hawaii and told his wife that he had been obsessed with killing Lennon. Chapman showed her the gun and bullets, but she did not inform the police or mental health services. I know. Like, I feel like if someone is showing you, like, hey, here's the guns and bullets that I'm going to use to go to New York and kill this... Infamous fellow. Yeah. Like, you should definitely report that to someone. Like, even if you think that he's just joking around or, like, whatever, that's still, like, not something that people joke around about. Yeah. You know? That's very wrong. Yeah. Um, Chapman later said that the message thou shalt not kill, flashed on the television at him and was on a wall hanging that his wife put up in their apartment. Um, he made an appointment to see a clinical psychologist, but he did not keep it and flew back to New York on December 6, 1980, two days before the murder. Um, at one point, he considered ending his life by jumping from the Statue of Liberty. Wow. Um, on December 7th, Chapman accosted singer James Taylor at the 72nd Street subway station, station. According to Taylor, the guy had sort of pinned me to the wall and was glistening with maniacal sweat and talking some freak speak about what he was going to do and his stuff with how John was interested and he was going to get in touch with John Lennon. He also reportedly offered cocaine to a taxi driver. Um, that night, Chapman and his wife talked on the phone about getting help with his problems by first working on his relationship with God, which obviously did not work. On the morning of December 8th, the day of the murder, um, he left his room at the Sheraton Hotel, leaving personal items behind that he wanted the police to find. He bought a copy of The Catcher in the Rye, um, in which he wrote, 
this is my statement, signing it Holden Caulfield. Um, and then he spent most of the day near the entrance of the Dakota apartment building where Lennon lived, talking to fans um, and the doorman. Early in the morning, Chapman was distracted and missing Lennon step out of a cab and enter the Dakota. Later in the morning, he met Lennon's housekeeper, who was returning from a walk with Lennon's five-year-old son, Sean. Chapman reached out in front of the housekeeper to shake Sean's hand and said that he was a beautiful boy. Thus, quoting Lennon's song, Beautiful Boy. Yeah, but I only wrote about one of his kids, and he abused the other. Yeah. What was his name, Julian? Yep. Yeah. Don't forget Julian. Never forget. Um, And then around 5 p.m., Lennon and his wife, Yoko Ono, um, were leaving the Dakota for a recording session at Record Plant Studios. As they walked towards their limousine without saying a word, Chapman held out a copy of Lennon's album, Double Fantasy, for Lennon to sign. Amateur photographer Paul Gorish um, was standing by and took a picture as Lennon signed the album. Chapman said in an interview that he tried to get Gorish to stay, and he asked another loitering Lennon fan to go out with him that night. He suggested that he would not have murdered Lennon that evening if the girl had accepted his invitation or if Gorish had stayed, but he probably would have tried another day. Lastly, around 10.50 p.m., Lennon and Ono returned to the Dakota in a limousine. They got out of the vehicle past Chapman and walked towards the archway entrance of the building. From a street behind them, Chapman fired five hollow-point bullets from the 38 caliber revolver, um, four of which hit Lennon in the back and shoulder, puncturing his left lung and his subclavian artery. Um, One newspaper later reported that Chapman softly called out Mr. Lennon before firing, then dropped into a combat stance. Chapman says he does not recall saying anything, and Lennon did not turn around. And that is the story. And then obviously he was arrested on site and the whole um, legal process as well. But uh, that's the story of John Lennon's murder. I did not know that much, especially about... All the religious stuff. I've definitely heard jokes about the catcher and the rye before. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Sorry, I don't have that much to add on it because yeah, no, I it's know some about it. Right. But I did. It was very interesting. Yeah, and it's just like it's. I think it's um, interesting that uh, we don't really hear about the like religion part of it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't really understand why i mean like we could theorize about some religious aspects because we always theorize but um yeah maybe he had like an upbringing yeah it was traumatic yeah anyways uh (laughs) for for my case this one is probably going to be the most uh gruesome and triggering one um so mine is the infamous green river killer um fun fact I knew about this case before, um, this murderer before, but I saw a TikTok where this forensic science teacher was showing off all the projects they've done of crime scenes and then the Green River Killer, and I was like, yeah, I need to do that. So, this, is, yeah, I'm doing it. So, uh, lots of talk about TikTok today. Lots yes. Of, lots of inspiration from TikTok. Thank you, TikTok. You're so. To, to the, the CEO of TikTok, thank you. True. So, I am using an article from All That's Interesting, and... 
um, the Green River Killer, also known as Gary Ridgway, um, who murdered up to 71 women. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Throughout the 1980s and 90s, he was prominently in the Washington, Seattle area. Um, in one section we'll talk about, he's in Kings County, which I had to search up where that was in Washington, um, which is, it's near Seattle, Tacoma, that area. I don't know where Tacoma is, but I know it's now by Seattle. Um, and he had hunted sex workers and other women to assault and murder. So from 1982 to 1998, he wreaked havoc across Washington State and coined the name Green River Killer. He murdered at least 49 women, but the real number could be as high as 71 because that's all they found so far. Yeah. I um, like that. And they said if this was true, this would make him one of the most prolific serial killers in American history and one of the most brutal. Um, so um, from, like, his um, younger years, he had kind of bragged about his choking ability and explaining stuff about victims' corpses and information that people don't want to know. I'm not going to say it, but, Yeah. And just his, he had a fatuation with that. Mm-hmm. So even though he wasn't as infamous like Ted Bundy, he took far more, he had more victims than Bundy did. Yeah. And in fact, by the time Bundy had already been arrested during the mid-80s, um, authorities were actively seeking um, to find Rid- Ridgeway. Sorry, there's like no E, but I'm just going to say Ridgeway. Um at that point was still large and they compared investigators compared it to the movie Silence of the Lambs I've not seen it sorry I know it's good but I have not oh seen it oh my god it's so good I know it's I can't believe you haven't it. seen like a film classic especially like a sorry a classic like Silence of the Lambs I don't know maybe it's I just I can watch it I just don't feel like it maybe it's the propaganda that my mom fed me growing up but like it is one of the best movies shout out to my mom yeah That's, I think they won I multiple think, Oscars yeah. Um, Which y'all should go check on what's popping. Yeah, true. <laughs> they, um, yeah. Anyways, back to Sons of the Lambs. Yes, of course. So investigators kind of compared it, like, to that. Like right. That, they just, I don't know. But they used Bundy's um, kind of, like, inside knowledge of from his serial killings and his famili- familiarity with Washington State to um, help form this profile. Um, and, yeah, I'm going to go more on how Ted Bundy like how they use it to help find right. uh, Gary Ridgway. So back to like his upbringing, um, he was born on February 18th, 1949 in Salt Lake City, Utah. Um, he had, they said he had like a kind of happy, kind of normal childhood, but then around age 15, he had stabbed a young boy and just to wonder how, he was just curious to see how it worked. Uh, yeah. Um, and it's always the ones that are like, he had a normal upbringing. Yeah, but, like, just that young of an age. And then so later on, he was um, sent to go see a psychologist, and he told the psychologist that he was interested in stabbing because he was struggling with being um, attracted to his own mother. Uh, What's that called, Freud? Yeah, Freudism. Yeah, Freud. Freud. Sigmund Freud would yeah. love the world we live in today. And um. he wanted to kill his mother because of that. Wait, that doesn't add yeah. up to me. Well, that's what he told psychologists. That's good, I guess. If it doesn't add up to me, I guess that should be a good thing. <laughs> yeah, this is kind of random. 
Um, he also confessed that he had a problem wetting the bed as an early teenager. Okay. That's embarrassing, but I'm glad it's, it's told out because, yeah. I don't know. Do you think and that's related to him? Being I don't know. <laughs> I I didn't wet the bed as an early teenager. I think I'm fine. So there's probably some study yeah. on that out there. If It's okay if you wet, if you, out there, if you wet the bed and um, you're a teenager, maybe um, you're okay. Maybe then, you're not a psychopath. <laughs> and then um, I'm going to, this next sentence, and then he said, like, uh, he had clear recollections after he had wet the bed of his mom washing him. Oh. After so. I'm not going to go into that. Okay. But just so you all know. Um, some experts think that this may have been part of a larger pattern of inappropriate behavior on the part of his mother. Mm-hmm. And while she was ultimately spared from his killing spree, some believe that his crimes may have uh, amounted to a case of... I'm going to butcher that word, so I'm not going to say it. And that he was unconsciously killing his m- mother over you and should, over You should again. try the word. I don't really know what it means. So I'm afraid to say it. Just say it. Okay. Matricide. Google says it's the killing yeah, of one's mother. Yeah, okay, I don't know why I thought it was going to be a bad word. Um, <laughs> um, amounted to a case of displayed matricide. Mm-hmm. But for a long time, he put up a normal front after graduating high school at the age of 20. Me. And serving to the Navy for two years, he decided to go and settle in Seattle. Uh-huh. Um Shortly thereafter, he got a job painting trucks, which he held about for 30 years. And not long after his move, he started having a couple of encounters with the law, during which he got arrested for allegedly choking a prostitute and for solicitation. Hmm. As the years went on, his crimes started escalating from there. It's widely believed that he did first begin his killing spree in 1982, starting with a 16-year-old girl who had ran, ran away from a foster home. Because they said he like mainly like targeted like prostitutes and girls who had ran away, um, and he often, again, preyed on vulnerable runaways, he, um, targeting prostitutes whom he picked up at truck stops and dive bars along Highway 99 just outside of Seattle. After luring his victims in his car, he would basically just kind of like manipulate them. They said by showing photos of his son, um, and then before they would do some actions um he would strangle them to death uh, so sometimes in the middle of it interesting yeah um sorry i'm saying all the details this is what happened yeah no 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 yeah no it's just like you know we haven't done like a we haven't recorded like a case like that in a while so it's just like yeah the one that was really disgusting which i wasn't on one time i think i was sick no i was out of something but um, when we were online, it was like, uh, Lauren did um, Albert Fish. Yes. That was disgusting. Yes, it was. Go and go listen to that. I don't know if that was the time we uploaded on Spotify. No, I no, it must be on Spotify. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it was gross. So, <laughs> um, If you like the gross and horrible cases, mm-hmm. you know, that one's uh, always at your disposal. <laughs> so this part I'm about to go into is, like, how he got his name coined. So this – the – Serial killer, he would often dump their bodies, like, in wooded areas around the Green River, Green River Killer, um, which led to the nickname. And he would also purposely contaminate the crime scenes with gum, cigarette butts, since he didn't smoke or chew gum, to throw the got authorities it, off. Got it, Which is an interesting move. Yeah, he doesn't seem like the type that would care about, like, covering up his own tracks. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, 
it just so far like it just doesn't seem like he cares about being caught but i guess so i don't know um so that was about a burp um occasionally he would dump the body in one place leave it for a time then tra- and transport it to another location to create like a false trail mm-hmm. and at least two of his victims were taken as far away as portland oh um, wow um by the end of his murder spree he had killed a confirmed number of 49 women Though he ended up confessing to 71 murders, he once said, I killed so many women, I have a hard time keeping them straight. Oh. Yeah. So when the bodies first started appearing, the King County Sheriff's Office formed the Green River Task Force, hoping to discover the person responsible, and they got help from an unlikely source. And then now you have Ted Bundy kind of helps right. with that. Surely y'all know who Ted Bundy is, um, but two members of the Green River Task Force were Robert Keppel and Dave Reichert, and they periodically interviewed psychologists, criminologists, criminal, yeah, Crimon- criminal, criminal, criminologists. I don't know. I used to want to be one, hoping to gain insight into the motives behind um, his movements. Mm-hmm. Then eventually, the interviews led to the infamous Ted Bundy in 1984. And according to Keppel, Bundy actually volunteered himself to take part in the investigation. Keppel described receiving the shocking request from the detective of the Seattle Police Department, in quotes, It was a letter from a wannabe consultant and the most, like, the most unlikely person I ever expected to be of assistance in the Green River murders. The letter came from a cell on death row in Florida. The sender was Theodore Robert Bundy. I was stunned. End quote. Yeah. And I, 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 I mean, I'm sure it's partially because... Ted Bundy was on death row, so he probably yeah. wanted to extend a little bit. Also, um, wanting to get a little bit more fame still, like which is just gross, like to think about. Um, but like, you know, yeah. If it helps, it helps. And like you were saying, by that point, Bundy had already been in prison for several years for his many crimes, and at the time he was awaiting his execution, would which would be in 1989. Um, with Bundy having firsthand experience with the similar types of murder that had been happening in the Green River area, Bundy proved to be an asset to the case. He became a regular interviewee of Keppel and Reichert and offered his opinion um, on the psychology of the, the Green River killer as well as his motivation behavior. And according to Reichert, Ted Bundy also shared several things in common with Gary, especially in regard to the my in regard to the mindset, in quotes, first off, there's no remorse. He doesn't have any feelings toward anybody, his family included. And that's what I saw in Bundy and what I saw in Ridgeway. End quote. My exact thoughts. Um, but as Reicher explained in an interview with the New York Times, um, like Mr. Bundy, Mr. Ridgeway craved attention and control and was prideful when discussing his killings. When det- detectives presented him with an unsolved murder to see if he would confessed to it he told them why if it isn't mine because i have pride in what i do i don't want to take it from anybody else hmm that's interesting yeah and then during another interview session bundy report reportedly suggested that the uncaught serial killer was most likely revisiting his dump sites to perform some actions right yes which we, i would not say yeah um, we have <laughs> heard of that a lot well i don't know if it is on the podcast but like definitely like um in like Law and Order, you see it a lot, and like any crime show, really, you see like people revisiting the crime scene to like 
relive it or like other things. Um, yeah. yeah. But bondage theories actually helped out a lot and it took the police until 2001 to finally arrest him. Um, when did the murder start? Like 1984, like 1980s. Oh. Yeah. So in 2001, Gary Ridgway was arrested on suspicions for murdering four women and his DNA was later linked to them. Forensic testing later revealed that the same spray paint Ridgway used at work during his crime spree was present at other crime scenes and added those murders to the um, list of charges. Mm-hmm. Um, he, yeah, this part, they're talking about how he's had a job for like th- 30 years and had been married three times. And one of his wives, his third one, Judith uh, Mawson, um, who didn't know about these crimes until after he arrested after he was arrested, she was like, he was like the perfect husband. Like he was so nice. Like he would never right. do this. Um, and still he claimed that he truly loved her. And according to the timeline of his known murders, his kill rate went down after they had gotten married. Oh. She filed for Sorry, dem- that is not, it, oh my God. Sorry, it was just like a natural instinct that like, I can fix him. <laughs> but um, after, after his, uh, after his confession, she filed for divorce. Rightfully and, so. Yeah. She deserves that, queen. And he faced 48 charges in exchange for life imprisonment instead of the death penalty, and the Seattle serial killer agreed to provide the locations of their remains. Oh, um, God. And then when his trial was over, he had confessed to more confirmed murders than any other serial killer in America, and he claimed that murdering young women was his real career. What? Yeah. Okay. He is currently still alive. Um, he's in his 70s, serving out his life sentences in the Washington State Penitentiary in Walla Walla, Washington. Walla Walla? Yep. Walla Walla, Washington. That's, yep. I'm sorry, that's And so he funny. is expected to spend the rest of his life behind bars. As he should. I think we should all be in fear of what the world is turning to if he is ever let out. Um, so yeah. But the title of the most prolific serial killer in the United States has been taken by Samuel Little, who killed up to 93 women between 1970 and 2005. So, That's a 35-year—we twen- should talk about that next time. Yep. Well, um, thank you all for listening to this week's episode one and last, watching. Wait, one last Never thing. Never mind. One last thing. I just want to say that um, Mark David Chapman, um, has his birthday is the day before mine. Awkward. Um, hashtag Tauruses, uh no. Anyways, um. if y'all like this episode, <laughs> y'all can view us on Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, anywhere where you listen to podcasts. And I think this will be on YouTube. I don't know. I think it'll be on YouTube. I don't know. But thank you for watching slash listening. Bye. Bye. <laughs>